talking. I didn't get my notes out. Okay, so what I want to do tonight is, uh, again, kind of, I'm just using um, the Edward, the uh, resolutions of Jonathan Edwards as a template, but it's kind of neat because I mean, he's got 70 of them. I'm not going to hit all 70, but I'm kind of starting to get to the near the end of uh, what I thought I might could do. But it's nice what I'm going to talk about tonight, and we'll talk about for the next few weeks, it really dovetails with what we're going to be talking about on Sunday. Um, on Sunday, we're going to be ordaining new elders and a new deacon to ministry here in the church. It's a very, very exciting thing. It's something that we should obviously mark and celebrate as a church. But it, there's there's a lot to say about that, especially when you're doing both. I really, to go back and do it, maybe you should do it in separate messages, but trying to combine them both on, on one day. Um, there's just a lot that the scripture says about elders in particular, but also some important things to say about, about a deacon. And... Um, obviously had a lot more than I could use, okay, to put into one sermon. So it was neat that as I was preparing this afternoon and looking at some of those resolutions I wanted to work through, one of the things that Edwards talks about is just the devotion to service, being a servant of Christ. And, of course, if you know, if you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard that the word deacon literally means servant. And so we'll talk more on Sunday about how deacons are servants in sort of an official capacity of the church. But... Service as a way of life for the Christian isn't limited to deacons, right? We are all Christians to be servants of Christ. And so I want to think about that idea more broadly, where I'm going to be focusing more on what, how a deacon is a servant on Sunday. I want to think tonight and next week and maybe the week after that about what it means for us as Christians in general to be servants of Christ. Um, Edwards, again, wrote a resolution about this. It's Resolution 62, and I'm just going to give you my paraphrase. Um, he uses the word duty to speak of Christian service, Christian responsibility, how we are to serve Christ. Um, so my, I'm, I'm incorporating this idea of duty um, and using the word service or the word serve to sort of capture that. So his resolution, again, in my paraphrase says, I resolve to serve Christ in all things. And I resolved to serve him according to Ephesians 6, 6 through 8. Will it, so that he's going to serve, he resolves to serve the Lord willingly and cheerfully as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. So he quotes part of that verse, part of that, that um, passage, Ephesians 6, 6 through 8, in his resolution. And we'll look at that passage more um, more deeply, more fully, in another Wednesday devotional. What I want to think about tonight, though, is just our identity as slaves. What does it mean to be a slave of Christ? So when we think about what Christ has done for us, right, if you think about how salvation impacts us, we could say a number of things, right? We could talk about the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven. We can talk about the fact that we've been justified, that we stand before God uh, approved and accepted, not because of who we are, what we've done, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So that when we stand before the bar of God's justice, we, he sees us as if we are not guilty of sin because Christ himself is purely righteous. We could talk about uh, being sanctified. We could talk about being children of God. Right? There's a number of different things that we could talk about and elaborate on as to what it means to be a Christian. But one of the things we have to include in that uh, understanding of our identity in Christ is that because he has saved us, we now are servants of Christ or slaves of Christ. Paul, in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Galatians 1.10, and Titus 1.1, 1, 1, 
James in James 1.1 and Jude in the first verse of his epistle all identified themselves as servants of Christ or servants of God, okay, when they are addressing themselves to their recipients, identifying themselves. It was important for them to say in those letters that they were servants, either a servant of Christ or a servant of God. And there are scholars that kind of debate about is that more technical in a technical sense because this idea of being a servant of the Lord in the Old Testament was really reserved for those that we would you know by name, Moses and Joshua and David and uh, Isaiah. There, there are several. Uh, particularly Moses and David are most often referred to as servant of the Lord. But Paul and James and Jude, they kind of appropriate that for themselves, not to give themselves a standing, but to say, look, God has called us to serve him and to serve him in a very specific way, to be apostles, to be ministers to the churches that are being planted throughout the Mediterranean basin. But if we kind of, again, take the, the camera and kind of scope out a little bit, we understand that all Christians are servants of Christ or slaves of Christ in, in, a, in a certain sense. Okay, And that's where I want to go to Romans 6, because Paul teaches about our Christian servitude, what it means to be a slave of Christ in Romans chapter 6. Now, uh, we could spend forever in just this chapter. I'm going to pick excerpts of it and just kind of focus in on just a couple of key ideas. So we're going to start in verse 6. So Romans 6, 6, and I'm going to read to verse 11. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has died has been set free from sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so Paul, just to make a couple of observations here. First, Paul says that we were at one time slaves of sin. We used to be slaves of sin and the power of sin enslaved us so that we did its bidding okay so before christ while we were still in our unregenerate condition the power of sin the power of death enslaved us so that that's all that we did we did the work of sin we did the things that our sinful desires uh, thought up in the heart right we gave ourselves over to those sinful things because sin was a power reigning over us and calling us, directing us to do its bidding. We practice sin as a way of life. And, of course, the consequence for that was death. Sinfulness brought us death. And we couldn't help it. We couldn't break ourselves from this power. We were, we were chained. We were chained that we could not break on our own. Okay, so that's one important observation that Paul is making in those verses. But, he says, what Christ did in his death and resurrection was liberated us from our slavery. Okay, so on the cross, Jesus died for our sins, right? And he broke the power of sin over us. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he conquered every foe. He conquered sin and death forever so that no longer would have any power over us. So we have been liberated. We've been set free from the power of sin and death and the devil. We can include that as there in that as well. God made us alive in Christ so that now when we present ourselves to God, we are alive to God, Paul says in verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus. All right. So 
Now that we are alive, how do we present ourselves before God? We're alive, but what's, what's our state? What's our identity before God? Let's go down to verse 16. Paul's going to elaborate how we present ourselves before God. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So what Paul is saying here is that no one is truly free, right? And this, I think, is a very important concept for us as Americans, right, where we celebrate our freedom, our independence. We think of ourselves as being Totally and completely free. I'm my own man. I'm, I'm master of my, of, my, of my heart and captain of my life, right? But no one, Paul says here, no one is truly free. Everyone is a slave. Question is, who, well, who or what are you a slave to? In verse 16, Paul says that we are slaves of the one whom we obey. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. So the person you obey, the master that you obey, indicates who you are enslaved to. Okay? And so he provides us several options in verse 16. Either we are a slave to sin, or we are a slave to righteousness. In other words, what is the operating power in your life? Is it the power of sin, or is it the power of righteousness? Okay? Those are the only two options. We're all slaves. We're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to righteousness, okay? And so what we do is we look at our lives and we say, what's the operating power in our life? And how do we determine that? Well, we look at how we act. What do we do? Because what we do is reflective of who reigns over us or what's reigning over us. So is your life marked by habitual sinfulness that would characterize you as an unregenerate person? Or is your life marked by habitual righteousness that would characterize you as a new creation in Christ. Okay, so those are the, what Paul is doing here is he's laying out the options. He's asking this rhetorical question. And maybe even asking the Romans to examine themselves. What, what reigns over you? What power is your master? Is it sin or is it righteousness? Okay, now the assumption is that if you're a Christian, that that power that reigns over you is righteousness. We are slaves to righteousness. Right? Paul answered that question for us back in verses 6 through 11. Because what Christ did, dying on the cross and being raised again from the dead, canceled our sin problem, broke the bondage of death, and gave us life. Right? That's what Christ did for us. So the answer to that question, what is the operating principle that reigns over us? Who is your master? To whom are you a slave? For the Christian, the answer is, it is God. Right? We are slaves of righteousness. He reiterates that answer in verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So Christ broke the power of sin that once enslaved us. Again, he did this by his death and resurrection. So we are no longer slaves to sin. He made us alive to God. 
And because we are alive to God, then we are slaves of righteousness. That is, that his righteousness is the operating power in our lives. It is what reigns over us as his people. So he, God, Christ, the cross through Christ, leads us to live righteously. And it is this work of righteousness, this power of righteousness, that does God's sanctifying work in us. So as we are acting in righteousness, as we are obeying God's commands, as we are living out in his righteousness, what God is doing through that is sanctifying us and making us more and more like Christ. Okay? So, even though we are no longer slaves to sin, because Jesus liberated us from the power of sin, we are not totally free. We are now slaves to a new master. That master being Christ or God. Both, both of those uh, names, both of those uh, persons of the Trinity are used to express the master that we now report to, the, 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 the power that reigns over us. But our new master, unlike the old, so the, when I think of the power of sin, the slave, being a slave to sin, I think, of, I think of the Exodus, right? I think of Pharaoh. I think of the children of Israel and how they languished under Pharaoh's power and how he was abusive to them and oppressed them mightily, right? That's kind of what sin does. Sin wears us out, sin oppresses us, sin binds us, keeps us captive. But we are now, because Christ broke that chain, no longer enslaved to that, we're slaves to righteousness. And because we are slaves of Christ, we have a good master. We have a kind master. We have a gracious master. We have a master who leads us to live righteously. So by saying that we are slaves of righteousness, Paul is here saying that we are slaves of Christ. Christ is working his righteousness in us. He is now our master and we obey him. He directs us. He's the operating power of our life. We do his will. Because we're slaves of Christ, our duty is to serve Christ in all things. We'll talk more about that next week or the week after. What it, what it means to serve, what does this look like? What does it mean to, 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 to be a slave of Christ? Right now we're kind of just dealing with the identity issue, what God has done to make us his slave, but now how has that practically worked out? But last thing here is let's look at verses 20 to 22. Paul concludes this argument by saying, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Paul here is reiterating the fact, once again, that we are still slaves, just our master has changed. We no longer, this is why Christians are urged and exhorted not to sin, right? God's called us from that. We don't go back to that way of life. We've been redeemed from it. That power has been broken. And so we're encouraged and exhorted to live in righteousness because we have a new master that directs us to do things of righteousness. So Paul here is reiterating the fact that we're still slaves, but we're not slaves to sin. We've just changed masters. We're slaves of God who works his righteousness in us. And the fruit of God's righteous work in us is sanctification, right? Conforming us more and more to Christ, making us more and more holy. And he says the ultimate fruit, which is eternal life, where I think Paul there is speaking uh, not just of the quality of life that we have in Christ, but eternal life, a life that will extend beyond the grave. So we see here the benefit of being a slave of God. 
right? We see God, we see the benefit of this. We see the goodness of it. That we, we, again, we don't serve under a harsh taskmaster. We serve under one who's, who's directing us and working in our lives for our good. And as he works in us, he also shows us his benevolence. He shows us his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy that just further deepens our love for him and motivates us even more to obey him. So that's the, just a big, kind of the tip of the iceberg here with regard to what is our identity. How do we see ourselves as slaves of Christ? How do we get to this point? And again, you know, that's, that's anath- it's become anathema. You know, if we were to go out into you know, secular culture and say, you know, you're, you're really a slave of something, people would be incensed because they think that they're free. But the fact of the matter is, we all have a master. Which master will we obey, right? So let us obey Christ. And we'll talk more about what that means to be a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ, uh, next week. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and just ask and commit ourselves to, um, to him like once again, just that his good work will be done uh, in our lives. Lord, we are thankful for what Christ has done for us. We are thankful, Lord, that you have um, redeemed us from the power of sin and death, that no longer do we um, abide under a harsh taskmaster that brought uh, devastation and ruin and destruction to our lives, um, the end result, Lord, being the promise of death, but that because Christ died for us, he broke those chains and that he has now made us his own slaves. What a kind master you are. We thank you, Lord, for the power of your righteousness that works powerfully within us. We thank you, Lord, for how you are good and kind and merciful and compassionate to us. Father, so gracious. You're so patient with us, Lord. Even when we, even when we go back to that old way of life, Lord, you call us back, Lord. You continue to forgive our sins. You continue to call us to, to put away the old and to put on the new. And we confess, Lord, that we need your help. That even as servants who are, who are to devote our lives to you, that we, we need your help and your power to continue walking in this way. Thank you that you are gracious and patient with us. Thank you that you are continuing to work your righteous fruit in us, Lord. And we thank you for all the benefits that come to us because we are your slaves and you are our master. Help us, Lord, in the, in the, in the weeks ahead to consider more deeply, Lord, how can we can be faithful servants of Christ in our lives and in our world. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.